Hey everyone, this is Aaron. I will be taking a vacation, at least from podcasting for a while. I hope you enjoy these rebroadcast episodes from our Hall of Fame archives. Welcome to the E-Success Methods Podcast with Jacob and Aaron, your source for expert advice on Lean, Six Sigma, and performance improvement methods. In this episode number 11, part 1 of 4, we unwrap the mystery of choosing project metrics. We focus on the dangers and pitfalls associated with choosing metrics, how a metric can look great while also hurting the company, and how important it is to monitor consequential metrics along with the primary project metric. Here we go. Hey, Jacob, how you doing? I'm great, huh? How are you? Jacob, I'm doing great. Today we're going to go over project metrics. Ooh, nice. And actually, you know, this had originally planned for this to be one tidy little uh, podcast, which uh, just grew into four probably very full podcasts. There's a lot about metrics, and I think people take for granted um, they're not just as simple as watching a number and uh, and making things magically go right. What? You mean it, it's not as easy as just putting a graph together and saying I'm done? Well, you know, in a lot of cases, it might appear that easy, but there's a lot behind the metric. Um, and as we'll talk about, sometimes metrics don't help. Sometimes a metric can hurt. Hmm. All righty then. I guess I got to learn some here. <laughs> well, well, let's get started. So, um, right now we're just going to overview of project metrics. Uh, subtitle: Measure the right stuff. So let's just start with Jacob. Why do we even need metrics? Well, I think the first and foremost is if you're working on a project or if you're working on an activity, you kind of want to know what you are doing or what you have been doing. Is that even working or is it even getting you to the direction you want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, another reason uh, is probably even more critical is if you have to report to senior leadership, you want to kind of show, hey, this is why we are working on this or this is the reason where we've reached because we've not worked on this. So it's almost like a, let's say, a tracking mechanism for pointing out where you're directionally headed for senior leadership. Mm-hmm. And there's an old adage, you know, if you can't measure it, you can't, you can't fix it, right? Yep. So, uh, and or or if you didn't measure it, it didn't happen. That sort of thing. There's that definitely a mindset that, you know, it's it's your proof. It's your proof that uh, you are where you are, and that um, the improvements you said you're going to make actually take place and hold. Yeah, you know, and I think the misconception sometimes is you need metrics only when you're doing projects, mm-hmm. but in reality, it's not not the case at all. You need metrics for any process or anything you're working on. And that kind of helps you assess where you are. So one of the analogies I keep bringing is, you know, when you're driving a car, you know, you have some metrics, which is your fuel tank, which is the speed you're driving in, which is how far you've driven. Right. You know, can you survive without those? Absolutely. You can go for a while without having any of that piece of information, but... Mm -hmm. You know, after a while, you're going to be playing a guessing game on do you have enough fuel? Are you, are you within speed limit? Are you overheating your engine? You know, you won't know any of that unless you have a dashboard or a visual display on where you are and how you're going. Right, right. So, you know, you can survive, but it won't be sustainable. That's kind of the idea. So I think it's like any other process. You need something. You need to know where you are, how you're performing, so you can figure out do you need to change something or do you need to address something. Right. And uh, one thing we're going to talk about in this cast is, you know, deciphering between uh, a good metric 
and uh, a bad metric, uh, avoiding bad metrics and, and trying to choose uh, solid metrics. All right. So say your team on a project, what, what would a good metric be and what would a get bad metric uh, be for you? Hmm. A good metric would be something that kind of directly relates to the goal, be it of a project or be it for the, the process. So in other words, if I'm trying to see uh, how much, if my process is to deliver pizzas, I want to make sure that, you know, a cycle time is something that measures my delivery of pizzas. Mm -hmm. I probably want to measure the accuracy of deliveries as a measure or as a metric, you know, something that helps me understand my process or my project. That's kind of what I would look for in a good metric. Right. It's got some tie to, um, you know, what your customer expects, uh, some tie to, um, uh, which is also kind of like a, uh, a, um, a proxy for, you know, profitability um, and gives you some some ability to make to make a change and make a decision uh, in either direction, right? Absolutely. And you know uh, the point you brought up first is you know I think key. It's also what would your customer measure you on? It doesn't matter if I'm a pizza delivery guy and I I look at accuracy of the orders only, but if my customer really cares how fast he got the pizza, then you know me measuring accuracy really does not count. I need to be looking at cycle time. So, you know, it's just things like that. You want to be conscious on what is the client expecting out of this process. Right, right. Well, and you, you, you talk about, you know, speed of getting the pizza, but, uh, you know, if I order pepperoni, you bring me anchovy. I don't care how much, how fast you got it to me. I'm not eating that anchovy. True. So, again, you want to be conscious on what that, you know, what the customer wants. Right, right. Um, so, there are there are good and there are bad metrics, um, and there are, there are good metrics that... Um, that can be gained badly, and I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah. So uh, one example um, of how to cheat a metric, and this isn't a how-to. You know, we don't want people cheating metrics. There's there's a lot of theories out there that the whole economic downfall. If, if you listen to uh, Forrest Breifogel's um, uh, views and his IEEE as he's trying to uh, promote. You know, he believes that the entire economic downfall was us, you know, praising these false metrics, um, but making things look great while businesses were actually failing and, you know, failing shareholders, all of Enron and all that other stuff. The whole banking system, you know, he argues, fell apart as a result of uh, gaming um, these metrics. So I got a um, couple examples of how to, how to cheat a metric. Uh, and there's one example that comes from. Uh, podcast, uh, Freakonomics. You know, you heard of Freakonomics, the book. Uh, they also have a podcast. And this podcast episode was called The Cobra Effect. And there's a link to this. Uh, by the way, there's a lot of links in the show notes uh, on this one, a few different articles. If you go to the website, just click on the link. It'll bring you to uh, these references I'm talking about. But in essence, in Fort Benning, there was an overpopulation of pigs. And the U.S. government came up and said, hey, how are we going to get rid of these pigs? How are we going to control this population? They were wild pigs. Uh, and what actually resulted in what they did, and everything resulted in more pigs. So let, let's break into the story. Um, in order to promote hunting down of these pigs, they said, hey, 
we'll give everybody $40 for every pigtail. And um, so every time somebody somebody brought in a pigtail, they gave them 40 bucks. Now, the metric was looking great. They said, wow, we're getting a ton and a ton of pigtails. But they noticed, but our pig population hasn't changed at all. Um, so as they found out, it was actually more lucrative for um, people to farm and raise pigs and give their pig <laughs> farm and raise pigs just for their tails to get this $40 than it was to actually go out and hunt them down. Um, okay. and, and then when the government found out about that, it said, you cannot farm these pigs. We're no longer doing this. We're shutting you down. And then the farmer said, okay. And they let all their pigs go. So they actually, they actually ended up with more wild pigs than when they started. So the one example of, we thought we were doing a great thing by measuring this one thing, but we completely, completely, you know, discounted the um, gaming uh, mentality. And I'll, I'll call it, we, we ignored human nature. I'll call it cheating. I'll call it gaming. Sometimes I'll call it lazy, but I'll also call it innovative because, you know, obviously somebody got very creative uh, when they started um, taking that. And it, But it really lies in overconfidence in the pigtail metric as it ties to the end goal. You know, I mean, you always have this group of people, but, you know, let's be honest, when you're doing projects, not everybody has the intention to game the system or do something. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's definitely a scenario that can be there, and it's more of a scenario when you have, let's say, goals or business objectives tied to it, so now everybody has to figure a way out to make that metric look better. So I'm sure we've all seen that scenario or experienced that scenario somewhere in our life. Right. There was a part of it, you know, there was a financial incentive because really what was the goal? Their, their goal was to make money. They didn't, you know, the people who were turning in this, these tails had no desire to reduce the pig population in Fort Benning. You know, they wanted the $40 for each tail. Yep. Um, and exactly right. So as your business metrics, you know, consider pig population to be a business metric. Um, pig tails wasn't a good uh, input into that bus- uh, into affecting that business metric, right? Exactly. And, you know, you want to be conscious when you select that metric is, you know, what, what else? You, you want to think through when you pick that metric. Maybe this whoever had picked this metric was, you know, did it with all the best intention, but just didn't realize the other side of the coin, which is what real, reality is. Say, for example, in the pizza example we talked about earlier, if all I was caring about was the cycle time of delivery, hey, I got your pizza in five minutes. None of the other competitors can do it. But like you suggested, each time instead of pepperoni, I put anchovies on your pizza, I am not measuring the right thing. And I can say, hey, I'm delivering my pizza, everything in better than in my competition. But right. at the end of the day, the client's going to say, that's not the pizza I want, so I'm not buying from you. Yeah, all our metrics look great, so why am I losing money? Exactly. So, Let's use uh, another example. And uh, not necessarily pizza delivery, but on-time delivery, which is important to every customer. Um, and I, I don't know of any, any company that doesn't measure on-time delivery in some form. Mm-hmm. So um, there are many ways to achieve uh, on-time delivery, and we'll discuss a few of these, uh, uh, but there's only a few that actually um, work for the business. So what, first, why is on-time delivery important? 
Well, uh, if I, it's one is customer perception. Uh, the other one is if I if only if I deliver something, can I get paid for something? <laughs> so well, you'll still deliver it, but what if you deliver it late? Well, at that point, uh, chances of me um, getting a repeat business or being consistent with that client or customer might not be, let's say, confident enough. So, right. In other words, customer loyalty, if you want to say that. Sure. So, uh, yeah, build your brand, the credibility, loyalty. You know, customers like predictability, right? Reliability. It's like this. they said this was going to be here. I'm planning on this being here. If you're not there on time and they have to wait for you, then their customer has to wait for them. And it really has a a, um, a trickle-down effect, a chain reaction. Um, and there's also benefits for you. Um, delivering on time means you get paid earlier because there's all most customers have you know between 30 and 90 day pay terms and if you if you're late a couple weeks that's another couple weeks between when you had to pay for your raw material uh, split to when you actually get paid for the product so I mean just in lean terms on time delivery also uh, benefits your company big time. So there's a couple couple ways of achieving on time delivery, and uh, let me let me know if you've ever seen anything like this in, in your experience. You could change the customer lead time terms to account for internal company constraints. So, in other words, you're saying the customer initially said, "I want it on the 15th." Um, your or I wanted uh, 15 days from the day I order. And you're saying, no, it's actually our role is we deliver only every 21 days and you get the customer to change? Is that kind of what you think? It could be something like that or, or you know, you used to have a lead time of two weeks and you found out, oh, we can't do two weeks. So we'll just uh, tell the customer it'll be three weeks from now on. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. <laughs> How about renegotiate a delivery promise date when it's clear that it will be missed? That's everywhere. And, and then you change, and then you change the date in the system because the customer agreed to it. Yeah, you, you ever seen that? I I've seen that a couple of times. I mean, um, you know, if I look at FedEx or UPS, right? Mm-hmm. There's that estimated delivery date up front, and because of some reason or the other, uh, I don't get my package on time. Now the question is, does FedEx consider that late or not? Because they notified me your package is going to be late by another two days. Right. Uh, you know, I guess that's where the question is. You know, I consider as a client or a customer, yeah, my package was late because I, when I ordered it, I expected it on this date. But by the time FedEx picked it up and got it to me, it was three days later, even though I was notified that it's going to be three days later. Right. So let's let's not use FedEx because you only have a few choices when you're talking, um, you know, FedEx. So let's talk about a, you know, like a courier that you expect to do it same day. Yep. You know. I mean, I just um, pick FedEx out of the air, but yeah. Right. So a courier where there is a lot of competition, you know, which one are you going to go with? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, what about, uh, you know, reduce capacity constraints and remove waste and time traps to improve throughput time in the value stream? That's what you want to do, right? <laughs> yeah. And the reason you can tell that you want to do is because it's like five or six buzzwords in there, right? Yep, yep, yep. It's, you know, it's all the big, big things. Time trap, constraint, I will flow. Right, so basically implement lean um, to improve your uh, on-time delivery. Take out those things that are getting in the way of you delivering on time. Yep. Uh, Put a cap on orders to only work on what can be delivered on time or only do the easier products. 
So in other words, you're saying kind of have like a stock list or or always available list, and then the others are TBD. Right. Um, or you know, if uh, if you've had too many orders of um, you know, you're, you got a backlog. You know, mm-hmm. the the difficult ones are uh, are due, but you um, but they're just they're just too difficult to get done in that time. So you put those off, you put those on back order and hold, and you end up, you know, fulfilling your month with things that are easier to turn out. So you end up delivering a whole bunch of other stuff early, but you deliver, you know, that the customer didn't want yet, and then you deliver some of the more difficult stuff late. Hmm. So your on-time delivery looks great because you delivered before a customer wanted them. Or... or you kind of met everything except that one thing that was late was super duper late. Right. Or, yeah. Cause or, it's only late once, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That one line item is only late once, but the others are all on time. Whereas there is a chance that if you actually try to get that one line item earlier, there's a potential that all the other things could also be late. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know, it's kind of a side note, but uh, you know, delivering early is also not good. You know, you don't want to, there's a, there's predictability. People don't have, you know, room to store. They also, you know, like predictability of pay pay terms. Delivering early before a customer actually wants it, that hurts them just as much. Well, maybe not just as much, but that hurts them almost as much as delivering late. Yeah, I get that. All right. Uh, add overtime or another shift to handle the capacity. Oh, it happens all the time. Absolutely. Stock inventory to pull off the shelf. Uh, pretty much I think everybody does mm-hmm. that at some point or the other. So. so, I mean, really what it gets down to, some of those are gaming. Most of those are common. Um, mm-hmm. But the only one that can achieve the on-time delivery without uh, putting extra burden on the business or uh, extra burden on the customer is, uh, you know, the third one we talked about, which is eliminating the capacity constraints, time, time traps, and, uh, you know, the waste associated in the value stream. You are listening to E6S Methods Podcast, brought to you by E6S Industries. Join us on our website at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success. This episode of the E6S Methods Podcast is brought to you by me. That's right. No one is paying me for these podcasts, not even you. So do me a favor. Go to my website and check it out. If you see something you like and you can use, buy it. If you don't see anything you like, then don't buy it. But do send me a message and let me know what you would buy if it were available. Go ahead and check us out at www.e6s-methods.com. Thanks a lot. So, you know, what's, what's you know, if, with the examples that we talked about, what would you say is the, is the thing people need to be conscious about when they're thinking about metrics? Consequences. Mm-hmm. That's right. definitely something they should consider. You know, you select a metric. How would this result in getting measured? What, what other habits this might create, or what could this result in not catching? You want to be conscious about those for right. sure. You want to you want to think beyond the face value of that number of that metric because um, there's a lot of different ways. Um, there's several inputs to affect the output. There's a lot of different ways that you could possibly move that metric. And just watching that metric alone doesn't necessarily tell the whole story. Exactly. 
So there are several types of metrics that you want to uh, watch uh, for your project. You have the primary metric, secondary metric, the consequential metric, which is what we're kind of alluding to in this whole cast. And there's also financial and business metrics, uh, which we'll go through in a future cast. So um, for an example, um, let's say product yields. Uh, to include in your project definition and uh, project goals, uh, primary metric, uh, to reduce percent scrap in an assembly department. So that's so that is the primary goal or primary metric you want to. If it's a process that's uh, a daily op- assembly operation, um, you want to look at what's the percentage of defects that's coming out of your assembly department. Right. Or it's that's it, your that's your primary metric. Right. It's scoped down to just that department. You're not looking at a whole plant or multiple plants, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and a possible secondary uh, metric, and the secondary metric I'm defining here is a a side effect of that, but that's a, it's a good side effect. It's another thing that you're watching um, uh, and happens as a result of uh, project success. So one, one uh, secondary metric associated with reducing percent scrap is a possible improved on-time delivery due to having more product available. Another, another one would be reduced, uh, reduced overtime, possibly. Yeah, that's definitely something. Mm-hmm. But then a consequential metric, and I broke these into two different types. Consequential metric, I call it type one. This is a negative effect due to mismanaged metric and not due to project success. It does achieve the primary metric, but it is at the expense of the business. So one example of how that might work, you know, you reduce the percent scrap by inserting a rework step before quality inspection. So, so what you're trying to say is, instead of inspection, at the end of the process, you're trying to bring it up front. You're bringing it closer, and, be, and you're not, you may not even be capturing the, the, uh, the data before right. you get to, uh, by the time you get to inspection. Got it. Um, reducing percent scrap by slowing down the process by 50%. Okay. Reduce percent scrap by increasing the headcount in the area. All right. But, you know, so these are all the ways that the, on, uh, the, the scrap reduction can be affected, right? So in other words, what you're trying to say is a consequential metric is you want to be, be aware that your overtime's not going up, you're not, your cycle time for the process is not going up, or, or uh, I guess even that rework step before inspection is probably cycle time related issue. Like you know, your overall process right. times. You want you want to you want to keep your eyes out. Hey, this metric can be improved if you do these things. Let us be aware that we track these metrics. Also, is that kind of what we're trying to get people right. to think about? So, like a, a consequential metric uh, for for instance that you might monitor might be um, you know total hours worked to make sure that in order to achieve this, you're not you're not um, bringing six you know, more increasing people. right. Exactly. You know, man hours. Maybe you're not increasing man hours. Um, uh, exa- you, you're not increasing the load burden on the area, mm-hmm. or you didn't, you know, do a, you know, a significant change to the part mix in order to allot for it. Yep, yep. And you know, um, I mean, just to add to the the topic we've just mentioned, sometimes I've seen people actually uh, even direct the work out of their area. You know, this is not necessarily assembly. So, hey, packaging, you guys do it now. 
you know, mm, okay, that mm -hmm. tends to happen also. So you want to make sure that that's also constant. That's not happening over here. You know, yeah, you can you can reduce the defect here, but in in net reality, you want to be conscious about that. Right. So those are some examples of you know possible ways of of gaming a metric uh, for you know scrap reduction. Um, it, it's not it's not all just cut and dry. So you know the purpose of a consequential metric, um, I'm calling the type one, is to yeah. Make sure, make sure you're not doing those things, and make sure those things aren't what's driving your primary metric to uh, improve. Mm -hmm. One article I want to reference uh, by Tom Thomas Pysdeck. He calls it uh, Thomas Pysdeck denominator improvement. There's also a link in uh, his uh, to his web page uh, on that. It's a pretty good, pretty good article regarding uh, gaming the metrics. Hmm. All right then. Another consequential metric I'm going to call the type 2. So it's also a negative side, but it's it's negative actually due to project success. I'll call it a, it's a chain reaction. Um, so, for instance, as a result of, you know, reduced scrap, you increase finished goods inventory because your output has gone up. So, you know, if you're monitoring, monitoring inventory and you see a spike or maybe you don't have enough room in your warehouse anymore, it's because your output has gone up as a result of project success and you just hadn't figured that in you know when you when you uh did your initial project um, and you and you need another project probably hmm. so this is almost the good side of having something different yeah it's a negative side effect of success essentially interesting which is often what happened when you do a, you know a value stream map and you tackle one capacity constraint um because once you take that out you find your next capacity constraint, and then you just—it's a you know a iterative process to continue removing capacity constraints. Um, and if you don't properly balance out your flow, you end up with um, new whip, new larger amounts of whip in front of that next constraint. Yeah, you know, and I think it's—I think it's the concept of this consequential metric. You know, besides the gaming part of it, is also why. You always want to make sure when you're selecting your goal for the project, you're keeping in the back of your mind that, you know, yeah, this is the key primary metric or this is the metric that's going to show me where I'm headed and what is critical. But I also need to be conscious that the other, be it consequential, be it secondary, is not affected because, you know, kind of like what I keep alluding, I can always make the process faster but at the cost of accuracy mm -hmm. or vice versa. You always want to make sure what might be that other thing that's out there. Maybe you're not improving that, but at least you're consciously keeping it at the level or at the standard where you are operating today. That's something you want to keep in the back of your mind anytime you're picking up metrics. Going down the list again, primary, secondary, a consequential metric, keeping an eye out for what could affect your primary that you didn't expect. And then there's also financial benefits and uh, um, uh, some other business metric to keep an eye on as you're um, uh, working your project. Uh, I'm going to have an entire cast on those ones uh, separately. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, we, wor we worked through this episode, which was really just an introduction of primary, secondary, and consequential metrics and understanding that, you know, metrics aren't as simple as a single, you know, one number divided by another number. Um, and everything is golden. Um, there's a lot of inputs. If you think about a fishbone diagram, think about all the things that occur in a business to move that metric. Um, there's numerous inputs. And we're just trying to expose uh, the listener to um, 
the the other parts of um, you know measuring project success uh, that you have to be aware of um, because a successful project or a project that looks successful uh, based on the primary metric but actually has a detrimental effect on the business is uh, is not a good project at all and people run away celebrating you know people get their bonuses and uh, you know yet the profits are falling and the process is taking longer than it ever did and people wonder why their whole six sigma lean six sigma program falls apart because <laughs> and, and and they're losing money because I'm overgeneralizing but all they did was game the metric now I am absolutely overgeneralizing because there's obviously I'm a Six Sigma, Lean Six Sigma fanatic, but I've seen it done well, and I've seen it done not so well. I've seen projects come out that result in inserting a whole redundant rework process step to improve yields. Mm-hmm. Uh, it happens everywhere. It's almost like, you know, hey, let me put that additional check into the, into the process so that, you know, I can make sure that when I'm sending it out, it's perfect. Right, and that is... A band-aid. Mm-hmm. That, that's a band-aid, and it's the old way. It's it's not the way of finding out what your critical inputs are and controlling them. That is, I don't know what my critical inputs are. I'm not looking at them. I'm going to measure my output and just rework as a rework due to whatever the status of the output is. Mm-hmm. So, Jacob, that's just a primer on you know the. Uh, the project metrics. Can you do a quick recap of this episode? Absolutely. So we started off talking about why is a project metric, you know, measuring the right stuff critical. Um, I think the key key highlights were you one want to show the organization where you're headed, what are you spending your time on, and how is this working, and you also want to even have a direction on where your process or your project is heading regarding are we even going there on the right path. That's, I think, one of the main reasons why it helps you get to that data-driven decision-making process much more easier and simpler rather than going anecdotally. Yeah, and you know what? I think you just summed it up great with that because we hadn't really talked about data-driven approach. And that's kind of what the metrics come into handy most. Now, things you want to keep an eye out for is, you know, there are cases where you can game the system. I wouldn't call it gaming. I would call it as not realizing the consequences of picking that metric and incentivizing based on that metric. Mm-hmm. So you want to be always aware for that. Uh, we kind of talked about the, four, the three kinds of metrics that are out there, actually four maybe. Uh, you have a primary metric, which is really what you're trying to focus on for your process, trying to measure for your process. You can have a secondary metric, which is almost like an added benefit or a bonus as a result of doing it. So you want to keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, you will have consequential metrics pretty much in every case. So that's something you want to keep your eye out for. Is it something that's going to you know, directly or consciously hamper your progress as a result of doing something? Or is it just part and parcel of doing something that might hamper your process in a negative way? That's kind of the consequential metric coming in. Then you have the category of financial metrics or benefit metrics that you probably need to track for uh, tracking purposes. Right. Prove that you uh, your project had value. Exactly. So that's the summary. All right. Thank you very much, Jacob. Thanks, Aaron. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to episode 11 of the E-Success Methods podcast. Stay tuned for episode number 12, part two of four, from yields to defects, how to choose metrics, and how to uncover the hidden waste within these common business metrics. 
Don't forget to check out our website at www.e6s-methods.com. Journey through success.